are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So as I begin, just a, a few quick comments on the reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Tonight it began, Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, which might have led at least some of you to wonder, which, which scripture is he talking about? Like, where is this happening again? Well, it's actually a continuation of last week's gospel reading, in which Jesus had been at the local synagogue, his hometown synagogue, and he had read from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that was all fine until he looked up and he made that statement about this scripture, this incredibly visionary, dreamlike picture of what the world should be like that Isaiah offered. He said, it's now happening. What? What? You, by you, Jesus? For heaven's sakes. We, we know your parents. We remember you when you were just a little kid. What are you talking about? To which Jesus replies, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. And then he goes on to give a couple of biblical examples that kind of bear out the idea that a prophetic figure will act in unusual ways and it may not actually touch the people who are his neighbors. Hmm, well, that just gets them all the more enraged, even to the point where they drive him out of the synagogue and move him towards the edge of the hill where they'll just push him off, which Jesus rather handily escapes. But part of what this is illustrating is that while Jesus will draw many, many people to him, close to him, he will also be a figure who really challenges and at times really divides folks. Isn't that so often the way with people who come with a challenging or important or even prophetic sort of message? Our human nature is a funny thing. It's just true that we, we like to keep things fairly predictable. Or at least we do until we find ourselves in a space of real need or real trouble. At that point, like the blind and the lame and the leprous folks who do seek Jesus out, we tend to find a very different opinion about what's going on, and we find it rather fast. Luke here in this gospel is simply taking human nature in all of its foibles fully into account as he begins to show us his picture of Jesus. We'll leave that there 
So I want to move on to the reading from 1 Corinthians. This is, of course, a continuation of our readings from the past two Sundays, in which we watched as Paul tried to sort out the Corinthian church's rather distorted view of spiritual gifts, and to begin to call them back to what he named a still more excellent way. Well, this reading tonight is his picture of that more excellent way. And it's offered to them in a, in a kind of poetic form, really. And it calls them to the thing that Paul believes is meant to be their true life blood, love. If I speak in human languages, or even with the gift of tongues, if I'm filled with wisdom and faith and even prophetic gifts, if I give away everything I own, even give up my very life for the sake of others, but do not have love, it's worth nothing, he says, nothing. And in Paul goes from there, singing a powerful song on the nature of that love. Now, as you may well know, the Greek word that Paul uses here is agape, which is one of four Greek words that all get translated into English as love. There is eros, which is erotic or romantic love. Storge, the love between a parent and a child. Philia, which is friendship love. And agape, which is chosen love. In the New Testament context, that chosen love of agape is God's love for us and our love for God. But also, and this is the point that Paul is really trying to drive home to the Corinthians in this reading tonight, but also it's the love we are called to have one for another. Centuries later, a millennium later, Thomas Aquinas would identify agape as, quote, to will the good of another, to will the good of another, which catches the spirit of the word beautifully and particularly as Paul is using it here. Now, many times over the past 30-plus years that I've been ordained, I've had couples come to me for a wedding, and when we reach the point of looking at readings that they might have to be offered at their wedding, often they will opt to include this text, 1 Corinthians 13 as part of their wedding liturgy. It happened most recently, just earlier this month, in a small private wedding at which I was honored to officiate. Yet, Paul here is talking not about eros, not about romantic love, but about agape. Yet I think that it's still an apt text for a wedding. It's good text for a wedding. As N.T. Wright has it, 
Romantic love can be what he calls a signpost to what Paul is talking about here. And so Wright offers the following. He says, when two people are in love, they often make promises which sound like verses 4 through 7, the ones about patience, kindness, and so forth. But the emotional and physical energy which gets them that far won't get them all the way to fulfilling those promises. It takes a commitment of mind and will, agape commitment, which often then to its own surprise brings erotic love, eros, right along with it. See, I I think Bishop Wright is fundamentally correct here in calling romantic love, that you might celebrate on a wedding day, a signpost that points toward agape, and suggesting that the relationships that will last are the ones in which both partners choose to commit to each other in mind and in will, and to keep making that choice through thick and thin. I think he's also fundamentally right in saying that such a commitment will often bring romantic love, bring eros right along with it. And I think that's something that might well have delighted, although quite surprised, single celibate St. Paul. Of course, a couple who has this read at their wedding is generally coming together in a space of harmony. That's why they're getting married. Paul, on the other hand, is writing to a church community that is badly fragmented right out of harmony. In the opening chapter of this first letter to the Corinthians, he's already identified this when he says that various people claim, I belong to Paul. Oh, I belong to Apollos, but I belong to Cephas. I belong to Christ which is his way of identifying the existence of dividing lines that have begun to grow in that Corinthian church. So, when he writes that agape is not envious, or boastful, or arrogant, or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, Paul's essentially identifying the fact that such problems as those do exist in the Corinthian church. He's seen it. They've written to him and said, we are in a mess here. I mean, there's people saying this and people saying that and people putting themselves up on platforms and people being left out, all those things. And in response, he says to them, in short, that he's aware that the varying factions are insisting on their own way, and that that simply won't hold. And then he winds right up in the closing section of this passage, which begins, agape never ends. Agape never ends. But guess what? Prophecies, speaking in tongues, even knowledge itself, they'll all come to an end. Even now, these things are only partial. 
They're like looking in an ancient mirror and seeing our reflection only dimly. Now, our mirrors in our day are pretty darn good at giving us a clear reflection of ourselves. Sometimes they're a bit too good if we're not really wanting to see the wrinkles around our eyes or the scars on our faces. But in Paul's context, a mirror provided a much less clear reflection of your face. So he says that here, now in this time, that's about all we can really glimpse of God. It's all we're being given as if we're looking in a dim mirror. Now I know only in part, he writes, just as when he looks into a mirror, he sees only in part. But then, in the fullness of time, I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now that's a stunning admission of his own partial knowing and understanding of our God and our faith. But oh, so important for that divided church community to hear, you can't possibly know it all. You will only and ever and always only see partially until the fullness of time. You've got your established hierarchies of who's important and who gets the best seats or the highest honor or the best food, he's saying to them, but none of that matters. None of it will last. So what will last? What outstrips even the best orator, the most compelling teacher, and that downright cosmic gift that some people seem to have for speaking in the tongues of the angels. That's simple, he's saying. Now faith, hope, and love, agape, abide, these three, and the greatest of these is agape. It is faith and hope and love that will last right into God's promised future for us and for our recreated world. So set aside all of your wranglings, people of Corinth, all the wranglings you've had over all of those other issues. Set them aside and set yourselves now and already in God's agapic future. Ultimately, for them and for us, that's what matters. If we locate ourselves within the horizon of that kind of love, which always looks to will the good of the other, we are well on our way to being able to see and live and be rightly. And for Paul, that's the greatest good news he can possibly offer. It's why we read these ancient letters that sometimes seem a little odd, sometimes seem to be dealing with things that are just at right angles of the things that we deal with, and then at other times are absolutely bang on to the realities that all of us across the ages, whatever our communities, need to be considering and reconsidering and considering yet again. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.